There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Health Essentials Podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. My name is Cassandra Holloway, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're broadcasting virtually as we are practicing social distancing during the coronavirus pandemic. We're joined virtually by Dr. Mohabed Chabin. Dr. Chabin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. In this episode, we're going to be talking about nosebleeds. Everything from who gets nosebleeds to how to treat and prevent them to more serious cases and what it could mean for your health. Before we dive into the episode, we want to remind listeners that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own doctor's advice. So Dr. Shabin, I first want to start off by asking how you're doing and if you'll tell us a little bit about your practice at Cleveland Clinic and what types of patients you see. Thank you. I'm doing well. Um, I, my, I see patients at the clinic with uh, mostly with sinonasal disorders. Um, as an ear, nose, and throat uh, surgeon, I also specialize in rhinology, which is a discipline of um, treating patients with sinus, nasal, and skull base uh, disorders. So people, most people will experience a minor nosebleed at some point in their life, you know, so it, it's pretty common. When someone is experiencing a nosebleed, what's actually happening? You know, where's the blood coming from? So most of the nosebleeds, or we call it epistaxis, is coming from uh, the anterior part of the nose, which is the nasal septum. And this structure separates the two nostrils, and uh, most of the times it's from the front part of that uh, structure, which is the septum. And it is usually, by all means, it's usually spontaneous, so it's not usually triggered by any um, like, like tumor or trauma. Um, and that's most likely cause of the uh, nosebleeds. And then you said usually it, it's from something more common, like, like a trauma or something. What about more serious nosebleeds? How, how you know, rare are nosebleeds when something is, is pointing to something that's, that's wrong? Yeah, so there is about between 10 to 20% um, of nosebleeds can occur uh, we call them posterior nosebleeds, which is way back uh, of the nose. And those are the ones that can tend to be more serious, where you get more blood draining back into the throat. And those are the ones that can be difficult to uh, control. Uh, in addition, uh, serious nosebleeds, I consider if there is a major cause, such as like a tumor in the nose, um, that to me is, of, of course, serious. Uh, in addition to underlying comorbid conditions, that could be associated with the uh, with the with the epistaxis or the nosebleed. So, with minor nosebleeds, how, on average, how long do those last? How long is normal? So, um, nosebleeds that are minor usually they should not last more than about twenty minutes, and um, and sometimes obviously you can do some measures at home to control the nosebleeds which, um, you know, can be simply just applying pressure to the front of the nose and so. 
And who is more likely to experience, you know, these minor nosebleeds from time to time? Is, is there conditions that put you at risk? Are there certain people who are kind of more prone to them? So I like to separate those in terms of either demographic risks, uh, geographic risks, and seasonal risks as well, uh, basically, or factors. In terms of demographics, we see this more in, um, in, as a bimodal distribution in kids about three to 10 years of age, mostly due to digital trauma, um, like no speaking basically. And uh, in the older patients as well, we see it. And the older they are, the more likely it will be a severe or recurrent bleed that may require an ER visit. Um, male gender as well. Uh, males are more prone to have uh, at least recurrent bleeds requiring an ER visit. Um, in terms of geographic, um, you know, northern states are uh, more likely to have people who are living in northern states more likely to have nosebleeds, epistaxis. In terms of seasonal as well, uh, it's much more common in the winter months, such as December and January as opposed to uh, the summer months like July and August. Makes sense when the, the air is a little bit more dry kind of in those winter, colder months. Yes. Are there any other common non-serious causes of nosebleed that you know, listeners should be aware of? Are there any medications or um, anything else that causes it that, that is interesting for listeners? Yes, um, so anything that can make your nose uh, dry is can cause nosebleeds, which we talked about the uh, winter months and uh, the dry air as well, like living in high altitudes, another risk as well, uh, such as that it causes nose dryness. Uh, if you're taking some medications that can make you dry, like you know antihistamines, uh, decongestants, um, topical nasal sprays. If you're applying topical nasal sprays, sometimes the the actual bottle can irritate the nose, and also can dry the nose. Um, and blood thinners, by and large, will uh, at least will make you have a longer nosebleed if, if it ha should it happen. Uh, patients have allergies because they have a lot of nasal congestion. They're blowing their nose. Um, they're sneezing, can cause uh, nosebleeds. If patients have upper respiratory infections, exposure to chemicals as well, smoking as an example, um, can increase. Obviously, there are other reasons. Could be a tumor uh, after surgery. Um, all those can also uh, trigger uh, nosebleeds as well. And I think when, when you mention a tumor, I think it's really alarming to people. So I want to talk a little bit about that. How common is a nosebleed for um, a symptom such as cancer or a tumor? Is it something that people should be really concerned about? Um, is it just kind of a warning sign to keep an eye on? I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yes. Uh, so basically, if it's a nosebleed that happens suddenly, and um, typically I see it more associated with other uh, symptoms like pressure in the face or um, numbness, then I would be very concerned about this being a tumor. Now, any nosebleed should usually, if it's recurrent, uh, should usually be uh, examined to, for the source. The location is the most important. Um, you know, whether it's in the front of the nose, back of the nose, or actually coming from a tumor. That usually requires, obviously, a visit to the, um, to the ENT, ear, nose, and throat physician. 
And how do you define a reoccurring nosebleed? If someone is experiencing one or two, kind of what, what's the number, I guess, to kind of for a red flag to go off in your head for maybe this isn't right. Maybe I should get this checked out. So if they have one-time nosebleed, usually and that goes away and you don't, you know, nothing require any uh, attention. I like to talk about them more about the severity because if they are, the more severe they are, if they require a hospital, like an ER visit, and we know it's not as common, about only 0.5% of uh, nosebleeds would require a hospital visit, like ER visit, and only 0.2% would require uh, hospitalization, for example. So they're not as common to require that much attention. So by and large, even if it's a recurrent nosebleed that's not severe, usually can be um, not alarming and could be treated uh, you know, at home without requiring you to go to the ER or seek attention. Gotcha. And what about like bleeding disorders or blood clotting disorders? Are, are bloody noses ever a symptom of that, of, of kind of a warning sign? Yes. So um, it's an interesting story. I had a patient one time who actually came to my office and uh, what had like four bottles of a, a blood thinner. And um, she did not know that H1 is a blood thinner and uh, some of them was the exact same medication. Um, so she basically showed me the bottles and was taking a pill from everyone. Um, so blood thinners can can be, if you take them in without checking the blood levels for um, in certain types, then it could be a very big risk of you developing uh, nosebleeds. So yes, it is quite major, uh, very, it's quite important. And it also, uh, when you see the patient and you diagnose them with a, a bleeding disorder, uh, it's not only the nose, they could be at risk of bleeding from other places such as the brain. And that's why we need to stress out that people on blood thinners need to always watch and make sure they have a good diet and that doesn't increase the bleeds such as the greens. Um, and also make sure that the levels are checked so they don't develop any other bleeding in other sites of the body. And with, I assume with other medications, kind of just be aware of the side effects and if it's interacting, you know, weirdly with your body, um, you know, just to have that conversation with your doctor, if medication is causing your nosebleed or anything like that, kind of just to be aware that it could be a symptom. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to go back to a couple of the causes of, of nosebleeds. So um, we mentioned people living in like high altitude areas. Is it because just the air is drier and that kind of irritates the nose a little bit more? Yes, the water vapor in high altitude is low, so they get there's more dry, and dryness can cause desiccation in the nasal mucosa and subsequently um, trigger the nosebleeds um, in those patients. Do uh, people living in these areas will they ever become kind of accustomed to the altitude where they're maybe they're not getting as as many bloody noses and they get used to it? Yes, yeah, so mostly the sudden changes is more, um, I've seen it more cause nosebleeds as opposed to someone living there for a long time. So uh, those changes and uh, can affect, can cause more, can trigger more nosebleeds, temperature changes, and the, um, the dryness. If it's more sudden, I see it more uh, triggering the nosebleeds as opposed to someone who has been there for a long time. It's been chronically exposed. Sure, makes sense. So here's a wild card question for you. Can pregnancy cause nosebleeds? So there is increased, that's an interesting question. So there's an increased blood volume in uh, pregnant, uh, in pregnant 
females. And uh, what happens is due to also hormonal factors, um, they are at risk of, of bleeding, um, of bloody noses, yes. Interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about treatment. So um, if someone just has an occasional, you know, um, random nosebleed, um, how do they treat it? What should they keep in mind? So um, I also want to discuss severity in that situation. So if it is severe nosebleed, even if a one-time severe nosebleed that requires, for example, a visit um, to the emergency room, let's say, uh, that usually ends up the patient ends up seeing me in clinic, for example, uh, after a few days without like bypassing primary care physician, for example. Um, so minor bleeds can definitely be treated at home, at home as you said, and uh, patients, I would recommend leaning forward, you know, um, uh, pinching the nose. Um, if they know which side it is, they can pinch only that one side or both sides if they're not sure where it's coming from. Uh, as we said, it's mostly from the front of the nose, so they pinch really hard, bend forward. We don't want the blood to trickle back. Um, and then wait about 15 minutes, and then you know they can check and see if it's still bleeding or not. If they do have afrin at home, um, they can always squirt afrin and then pinch their nose as well, uh, and that controls the bleed very, very well if they're at home. In the severe bleeds, obviously, when they come to see me, then they may have had a packing in the nose. I may have to uh, take a look and see where the bleeding is coming from um, and then do a complete examination. And if a, if a patient, you know, makes their way to you and, and they're seeing you for um, reoccurring nosebleeds, what are some of those treatments? I know cauterization is something that I've, I've seen. Um, walk us through kind of how you would maybe treat a patient with reoccurring nosebleeds? Um, so the location is the most important, the etiology and the location, I would say. So um, if it was a septum bleed, like from the structure that we talked about, um, we take a look in the nose and usually the, the anterior bleeds, which are the most common, you can cauterize them in the office. Uh, you can use silver nitrate, for example, which is a simple procedure in the office and cauterize them. If it was more severe bleed, posterior bleed, or the middle of the septum arterial bleed, then sometimes it requires backing. And, um, and then if that fails, then you may have to go to surgery and cauterize them with electrocautery. Uh, the posterior bleeds, sometimes if they're severe um, and they reoccur, we either tend to um, uh, ligate the artery with the surgery that we do uh, or do embolization. Um, which is done by interventional radiology as well. But those are for patients with severe bleeds or recurrent bleeds. Um, and uh, it's not just for, for everyone. We, we have a protocol that we use for those kind of patients. Sure, absolutely. And if you know, a listener is, is listening to this and, and they have these frequent nosebleeds, do they make an appointment with an ENT? Kind of what are their, their steps here? So one-time nosebleeds or nosebleeds that they can control and they're not, you know, and they're um, not as frequent, then obviously they can manage them at home. Um, but if they recur, there's always good to check with their, with their primary care physician um, simply because there are a lot of um, comorbidities that they need to uh, pay particular attention. For example, hypertension, 
we know in many studies has been shown to be um, a risk factor. And uh, so they need to check the blood pressure. Other comorbidities like sleep apnea, diabetes, um, congestive heart failure can put them at risk of uh, severe bleeds requiring them to go to the ER more often, like frequent visits to the ER. So checking with the primary care doctor is always very beneficial to make sure the comorbidities are okay. There is no underlying condition. Uh, sometimes it could be a genetic condition um, that could be predisposing them to cause bleeding and that could be very severe and could happen in other parts of the body as well. And it can happen any time of their life, by the way. It doesn't have to start uh, when they're young or anything. Um, so always I would start with the primary care. Just make sure they um, do... Uh, they have a good exam um, and making sure the comorbidities are uh, checked. And if that, and they continue to have problems or if they have severe nosebleeds, those two, they end up requiring to be seen by an ear, nose, and throat um, a doctor, uh, specifically to do a nasal scope so we can find out where the bleeding is coming from. Absolutely. And just a, a message to listeners, get it checked out. If it doesn't feel right or if you know, you're noticing something, uh, always best to get it checked out for sure. And I'm curious with today's crazy world that we're living in, can nosebleeds cause or be caused by stress and anxiety? Do you ever see any kind of correlation between between that? So this has been studied multiple times before. I think they, I always see them coexist at least. Um, so I have rarely seen a patient, unfortunately, that comes to your office that has a nosebleed and that's not stressed out about what is causing the nosebleed, how to stop the nosebleed. It's a very stressful uh, situation. And, uh, and, and what happens with stress is your blood pressure goes up and your heart rate goes up. So it's not actually helping the, uh, the condition, your, your bleeding. So, and many patients when they come to the ER and I come to see them after they consult me, for example, as soon as we calm them down, the bleeding stops usually. And uh, you, so it's a vicious circle. You get the bleeding, you're more anxious and the blood pressure, heart rate goes up and you bleed more. Once we break that cycle, uh, patients calm down and uh, at least they feel also they're safer when they're being taken care of uh, at the medical office or in the ER, for example. Sure. And it's jarring, you know, there's usually a rush of blood and then a, a rush to contain it. And it's, you know, it's, it's scary for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with reoccurrent nosebleeds, I'm curious, do those, do those ever cause iron deficiency? Is that something that people should be concerned about? Absolutely. I have seen iron deficiency in patients who have recurrent nosebleeds, particularly patients that may not, uh, may may delay, um, you know, um, care for these conditions, um, especially severe cases or in recurrent nosebleeds, even if not severe, but they're not taken care of, they're not stopped. So that recurrent bleeding uh, over time, it's very, if it's frequent, then can cause um, iron deficiency. And if they have other bleeding um, disorder uh, or the bleeding from other sources as well, um, that could cause uh, iron deficiency. And is that just treated with your typical iron pills or does it depend? It depends, absolutely. It depends on um, if it's just iron deficiency or other conditions uh, that the patients have anemia from. Uh, but what I would recommend usually those patients uh, with recurrent bleeds, they need to see that primary care doctor to look at their comorbidities, 
and to look at other sources of bleeds if they have iron deficiency. And if it's truly just iron deficiency, obviously they will put them on iron pills. And with talking about nosebleeds in general, I'm curious, how serious can a nosebleed be? You know, is there people that should be concerned about a serious, severe nosebleed? So the good news is nosebleeds uh, rarely require, as we said, only 0.5% uh, ER visit and 0.2% uh, hospitalization, and also very rare to be severe, like, require, like causing to be fatal or death, uh, very severe. But uh, I would be concerned in patients with, like older patients with posterior nosebleeds um, that, you know, did not seek care uh, and it continues to bleed obviously and those require usually obviously packing and ER at least an ER visit for taking care of it um, and controlling their comorbid conditions uh, including like diabetes for example uh, sleep apnea and uh, those are risks for them to develop as we've seen in, in, um, in our study um, recurrent visits to the ER with bleeding again with, with re-bleeding uh, other than that, I would also be concerned in patients who have potentially tumors in their nose or vascular tumor in their nose. Um, those are the ones that I'll be very concerned about them bleeding again and profusely bleeding. And, uh, and obviously, uh, after sinus surgery, I would be also concerned if there's a bleeding that is also uncontrolled as well. But again, not very common. No, no, not common. Uh, it's, it's very, very uncommon. That's the good news. Most nosebleeds are... As we said, they are uh, spontaneous and they are um, they don't require um, ER visit by and large. They're not, they're not severe. So with drier winter months quickly approaching us, for listeners who experience dryness in their nose or irritation in their sinuses, what are some at-home remedies they can do to kind of cut back on the dryness and the, the irritation that they feel in their nose? Thank you for that question. Um, so what I recommend if patients have, um, obviously are at risk of nosebleeds, is to have a humidifier um, at home that can uh, obviously decrease the, the dryness. And uh, what I recommend as a regimen for my patients when they have, when they're known to have recurrent bleeds during the dry winter months is to actually apply an ointment uh, twice daily. It's water-soluble ointment. Um, and some of them could be over the counter as well. And uh, that's applied twice daily. And during the day, they can also use a nasal saline spray to keep their nose moist. If they are using nasal sprays, drying nasal sprays or any nasal sprays, I always wanna make sure they're using it the right way, which is aiming the spray towards the cheek on each side. I always say right hand, the left nostril, left hand to the right nostril. So you're not aiming it to the uh, septum, which is the structure that we, we talked about that, that uh, you know, usually is, is where the bleeding uh, happens. Um, uh, in addition, obviously, if you keep your nose moist and avoid um, nose picking, obviously, and avoid any um, nose blowing, um, you know, straining and uh, sneezing. So if you control your allergies, if you have allergies, that would also avoid these and avoid you from getting um, uh, recurrent uh, nosebleeds, in addition to avoiding chemical irritations such as smoking and, uh, and such. I think it's a good reminder just to be gentle when you're blowing your nose or you're dealing with your nose, especially if it's, if it's already irritated. Absolutely. 
So the last thing I want to talk about today is prevention. So we mentioned, you know, not smoking. Um, how, if for listeners listening to this, how can they prevent nosebleeds from, from happening, especially um, if you're more prone to them? So most important is, as we said, the most common are the uh, spontaneous anterior bleeds, mostly due to dryness um, and obviously colder temperature. So um, the, the, by keeping the nose moist, um, perhaps having a humidifier, um, applying a lot of uh, saline, and sometimes I use ointments in the nose that, are, that would be helpful and could, be, could provide some uh, moisturizing effect. Um, avoiding irritants, like you said, smoking, avoiding um, that. And obviously, uh, if you work in a place with a lot of chemical exposure, uh, uh, you know, perhaps having some protective equipment would be very helpful in that case. Um, in children and some patients, avoid nose picking or digital trauma is very helpful. In allergy patients, um, maybe controlling the allergy is important. This way you don't have to be sneezing as hard or you know blowing your nose um, and avoiding this irritation that can cause bleeding. These are all factors um, that could be, and also more important, if you're on blood thinners, make sure that the levels are acceptable so you don't end up losing, losing a lot of blood. Absolutely. Great, great advice to end on. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Dr. Shaban. You've shared a lot of really great insight and advice. I know listeners will be, uh, find this very valuable. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. To make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic ear, nose, and throat specialist, call 216-444-8500. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts from experts at Cleveland Clinic, Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HE podcast. Also, don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word, to stay up to date on the latest health news and information. Thanks for listening and stay safe. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.